Hello and welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan-Burge and I'm your host. I'm the author of 11 books, a CEO of 12 years, the founder of a startup set on data privacy, most importantly, an elite performance coach of over 18 years, having worked with athletes throughout Europe, the United States to Australia. And most excitingly, I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance, specifically behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. My work includes everything from mitigating injuries to conditioning behaviors that set a player up long-term for the long game towards a top 10 tennis ranking. I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory, optimal behavior for optimal performance, the barrier breaker, the rule of transference to the golden rule. As has become custom, each episode we dive into one of my books to share additional insights and dig a little bit deeper. We've been focusing on the secrets to optimal coaching success, the role of experience, optimal performance practices and outcomes in the real world with well over now 50 episodes to date. Today's topic plays its own role like so many other episodes in developing the player, parent and coach for that road ahead towards a top 10 tenants ranking. So as always, buckle in and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether you're new or you've been around for some time now. Thank you so much. Would you believe it that today marks the start of the second chapter of the secrets to optimal coaching success, which means we have that whole chapter now behind us, including the, the entire uh, everything involved or encompassed in the secrets to optimal performance success. So the first text, obviously, we dived into and shared those additional insights. So if you are new, and I do say this, I think nearly every single episode, uh, please do catch up on that extensive catalogue now we have to date. But this is episode 55, believe it or not. So that which really marks, I think, around the, the fifth episode, we've been diving into the secrets to optimal coaching success and it really has been setting I think a new pattern and I'm sure for those who are familiar with beyond top 10 tennis it's quite a different take so it is a bit a bit of a pivot and I think it's quite clear in that respect to how we've progressed and look today's chapter or chapter two is on behavioral awareness in sport and I think in most of our episodes, we really do share those behavioral insights because it's just so important to recognize that tennis players are individuals, but they're also more often than not children to young adults. Um, so specifically, um, 
throughout that developmental spectrum. Um, I think, that, you know, in the young adult, we can argue, it might cut off around like, you know, 23, 24 years of age, for example, or even 25. And then onwards is just an adult. Because um, in, in the real world, so away from the tennis courts, we can look at, you know, the, the younger adults in that respect. And typically they're not viewed, I guess, depending obviously where you're based around the world until, you know, mid-20s or later where that, I guess, that perception changes. And it's really important, I think, to shed awareness on this because when we're looking at those behavioural implications and we just take a step back from the tennis court, so from, I think, the, the dynamics that are in play on court and when we slightly pivot away, and shine, I think, a different lens around, you know, those age ranges and what constitutes an adult in, in this respect. We kind of have different opinions. And unfortunately or fortunately, tennis is actually a very young person's sport in this respect because typically you have players reaching, say, the peak of their career in their mid to late 20s and they end up retiring from the game at some stage, more often than not, say, mid 30s to late 30s. And the fun part I'm saying in this respect is that in the real world so away from the courts um going off the play obviously of the title we're looking at people normally don't hit that mid-career milestone so mid-career they're in their 30s or late 30s peak career in their you know early 40s or within that you know age bracket to 50s and then later on in their career obviously when we're looking at later 50s 60s 70s and so forth depending how, how long your working career is um and obviously the retirement age is then after you, you've reached that 60 plus typically and this really varies again where you're based in the world and so it's very generalized these are just more so general figures i guess from more so western society and more specifically um, being based in australia though there are no clear statistics these are purely examples here and so i'm sharing that from how we view the behavioral implications um, on the tennis court and you have the, the very young player whether they're 11 12 13 within that developmental spectrum and recall our last episode when we touched on the developmental player the developmental elite player so they could be 21 22 23 years of age but they're still developing they're still developing those elite peak performance cycles so recall that we move from one peak performance cycle to the next and to the next and that's uh, essentially the end goal it's not as such a level of maintenance uh, and we touched on that in last episode as well that level of maintenance is what we want when we're inside the top 10 but we still need to continue reaching those peak performance cycles because if our competitors are which more often than not those nine other players inside the top 10 if you are in the top 10 they are looking to reach that next peak performance cycle and obviously the ones external to the top 10 
the same applies but that luxury of just maintaining a level is, is incredibly rare because if those are those patterns of play we've touched on so that one peak performance continues to progress they're the players who are more likely positioned to go further in a grand slam and then eventually win that grand slam so again recall in the last two to three episodes we've really um, digged a bit deeper and i've shared those additional insights on those peak performance cycles and specific metrics and why we've got um, specific players who win grand slams at this moment in time those who have not those that we knew who were going to win grand slams and that they have by leveraging our predictive analytics that um it's really shared and dived into deeper in the seven keys to optimize your life but most importantly and that is really pivotal here is when we're looking at those behavioral implications and obviously ingrained in that is the seven keys and i really have been i think running home the seven keys in the last couple of episodes um probably more so than i think in the past because and as i shared in um a last episode again because there was there was a lot there um this latest text that's coming out in time for christmas so please get ready unpack something that we weren't sure was there and or was possible and or if it was ever going to be released and that's the eighth key which i i did promise the last episode that i would begin to share more insights in this respect and it's really exciting because it's essentially piecing together the puzzle and it's one of the i think the most exciting benchmarks in this respect is how the eighth key delivers the eight percent and what i mean by that is that we now know uh, why and we're obviously we've got the data so those who are not familiar these aren't just opinions or substantiated opinions or pure um, subjective opinions um we're talking about we've got the the scientific rigor on our side quantitative and qualitative in this respect and the best part is because we're, we're looking at how do you secure that obviously that top 10 tenants ranking and stay and recall the barrier breaker which are new players every season and we know this is continuous over our longitudinal analyses and studies etc that new ones happen every season and which means top 10 players lose their place new ones come in and current top 10 players they regress so they go whether it's 11 12 13 in the world or further it's a regression nonetheless and those who progress into the top 10 are a progression nonetheless but we're talking about the ones who are able to stay stay inside the top 10 now and that's really what the eighth key is solidifying and running home is that if you want to hold on to that place inside the top 10 this is explicitly what's absolutely paramount the good news uh, for those of you who've been following along and have become familiar with the seven keys is that the seven keys are absolute you, you still need the seven keys um, they are absolutely pivotal the seven keys will get you there the seven keys will get you into the top 10 but we're looking at the eighth key now uh, which is explicitly the top 10 and maintaining that 
hold and we know we've touched on the correlations there about winning your maiden grand slam to replicated success so winning more than one grand slam championship which most players aspire to um, just win one and then multiple is incredible and we have the data that underpins why and how you can win that multiple and it's so important to highlight that all of this work is, is based on the best players in the world and recall I think um, in a previous episode we touched on the top four for example which means the players who got to 20 grand slams first so the likes of a Federer, Serena Williams to Nadal and then Djokovic and obviously the latter is still active and potentially those those slams are going to continue to climb I mean we'll start to see next season which is a very exciting time and why I think this book is being released in time to be able to showcase come the Australian Open how the eighth key really um, runs things home but look today's topic this chapter whether it's on obviously behavioral awareness in sport today's uh, primary topic is on age interactions which is um, involved really explicitly in the uh, the behavioral side so we've touched on the age interactions and in a manner of speaking we're looking at the developmental spectrum where we've got those two so recall again previous episode where you have the initial developmental so the first 10 years of play and the second developmental which is that second 10 years of play and when we're touching on the young adults where they're you know potentially 19 20 through to even 25 26 potentially years of age where they're still Still typically viewed as a young adult. Um, young adult can stretch even further so this is very generalized but when we're looking I think in the terms of tennis and WTA and or ATP tour these players unfortunately are more often than not looked um, as more senior players which is quite concerning in, in some um, areas but we won't go there however when you're looking at the, the behavioral implications to expectations um certain i think um behaviors that occur from these players almost um they're acceptable to normalize because in the real world again this is what a typical 25 26 year old would, would potentially behave like just as an example and we have to be very conscious all those players really have to be on point in this respect that because of their role model status they have to grow up sooner they have to grow up a lot more readily compared to their peers who are not i think in the public eye now we do have episodes on mentorship and and the role model status etc previously but when opposed to I guess focusing on that today we really want to look at the age interactions which is very clear when you are let's say inside the top 100 and you can look at the top 10 for example and you've got players from 19 20 years of age for example through to 36 uh, years of age and uh, so the, the the age range is incredibly diverse you've got the early 20s to late 20s to early 30s it's incredibly diverse now which is really exciting because we're seeing the current generation um, in a manner of speaking being pushed with the next generation of play um, and you can have for share for example that Elcarez is leading the pack though I would argue that that is the now that is the current generation of play and we've got Djokovic who was a 
in the previous generation who is now in the current generation and that he's holding onto his level of performance to match this, this new generation which is again a very interesting discussion to be had though recall again in our previous episodes we've touched on why why Djokovic has been able to maintain this hold and it's because how he exhibits the seven keys and applies to integrate those seven keys and it's so important to underscore here the top four and obviously that the, the data interactions that have happened obviously over the course of more than uh, the 11 years that this work has been ongoing to the 20 years from when it obviously uh, came to life, um, which is a, a significant amount of time. But when we're looking, I think, more specifically at those age interactions, when you are on tour, it essentially goes away. Um, and what I mean goes away, it does not matter what age you are once you've written a certain skill. And I would argue that potentially this is where when you're inside the top 100 to top 50, it's, it's more uh, even spread. Um, potentially, it's, it's more heavily weighted than on experience. So you could have a player who's been ranked 80 in the world for the last two, three years. However, it's incredibly dangerous when you have a player that's ranked 100 in the world who has been ranked 100 for about two, three months and they are at their peak. Those so recall the peak performance cycles. That player ranked 80 in the world is a lot more vulnerable to be displaced, to regress um, against that top 100 player because they have not reached a plateau. Their performance is uh, continuing to progress, continuing to reach those peak performance levels that we've touched on in the past. And that is why we see a lot of players, irrespective if they're ranked 80 in the world, 30 in the world, 20 in the world, why they don't progress, why they stay. And we've touched on, I think, maybe not the best descriptive, that they stagnate. So their performance is just a plateau, it's, it's stagnated. But they have a level of maintenance that allows them to hold onto that level of play. But we're now talking about the progressions, the players that overtake them and overtake them and overtake them because it's cyclical. And so recall, we've had episodes on this, how it's a cycle. And they're continuing to repeat that peak performance cycle. And then the next peak performance cycle and it's progressing. So it's not the same. Those cycles are not the same. They go up a level, then up a level. So we go 80 in the world, then 70 in the world, to 50 in the world, etc. Because those performances are continuously continuing to peak. And that's essentially what uh, the, that initial 10 years of play to the following 10 years of play is all about when you are integrating the seven keys and the what's your game missing series uh, really sheds light on the applications most specifically when we're looking at the technical parameters but uh, more so um, I think this this latter book that, that that is on its way digs even more insights into the non-technical uh, so behind the scenes, what's going on, what needs to happen, those interactions. Um, so recall again, I think the last, you know, parts of one through to five. So episodes, I think they were around episodes 45 to 50, for example, how there was a refresh on the coach-athlete relationship and it was very substantial. So there's like a good five to six episodes in this respect. 
and it's really taking it to the next level because performance is one side and but behind the scenes is the other so that is why you have players who are absolutely phenomenal on court but their ranking does not correlate with that exceptional performance because we're talking about behind the scenes we need them both to align both to pair up and you go okay how does this tie into age interactions well first we're talking about the behavioral components so second then when we look at the age interactions we have to be very mindful of the progressions and the expectations of a given age range what we can expect of that 12 13 year old to what we can expect from that 21 to 22 year old and it is not universal and that is so important that one 21 year old is not going to have the same I think needs that uh, should be accommodated or set behavioral implications as the next 21 year old so again recall episodes on modification to accommodating the athlete and uh, individualization so every episode we like touching on that humanized approach which is so important because at the end of the day tennis player coach parent guardian irrespective we're all individuals you are all individuals which means you perceive things in a different way how you perceive something is not going to be the same as your best friend Um, how your best friend perceives something is not going to be the same as your next door neighbor Uh, which is very generalized i acknowledge but for example so when we're on the the tennis court from one play it's not going to perceive something exactly the same as the next and it's so important when we're looking at the um i think the intricacies of that coach athlete relationship so the complexities that are underlying optimizing that relationship that obviously correspond with the top 10 tennis ranking and this is where we're going and where those age interactions can take us to uh, i guess that level of behavioral awareness so within that first 10 years of play it's it's more pivotal more often than not age interactions are are typically frowned upon until the the levels are more clear and i what i mean by that until that 12 year old really just clearly beats that 16 year old maybe they'll get to interact on the same court but then potentially if they do then they don't and and there's a lot of i think um it gets very uh for lack of better wording political very judgmental not inclusive and this is across the board irrespective where i've been based however i would say that there are and this is very general the the level of accommodation from the varying age ranges i think are more broad um primarily i want to say in europe to north america more so than australia which is very disheartening to say but every club academy has different approaches so it's something to be very mindful of which is to say that i'm sure that there are academies are based in Australia that I have not I've not seen firsthand that potentially 
does accommodate, I guess, age variances. But I have seen this irrespective of where I've been based or where I've been. So it's so important to have that discussion and, and for coaches to be mindful of and players to parents to guardians as well. That when you're in this developmental age range, you could be nine years of age to 19 years of age, there is always something you can learn from that other player. For example, if that nine-year-old is playing with that 19-year-old, that 19-year-old might want to be working on their drop shot, as an example. The nine-year-old is looking at their level of consistencies to their footwork, and the scale is going to be very different, but there is always something you can learn. Speed of movement, for example, is absolutely paramount for that 19-year-old. Working with or hitting with that nine-year-old if their ball falls short, not where I think that level of control would be expected of that 19-year-old. So the, the underlying lessons here can be incredibly powerful and that's really what we're focusing on today because when you, I think, move into that second decade of play, age discrepancies, variances, interactions, they're a given. And you cannot control the, the age of your opponent, etc. Um, fortunately, but also unfortunately, in, in, in some cases, you obviously in the junior ranks, you have those age ranges, which are very good um, to show an even playing field in some respects. However, if you have that 11-year-old that keeps thumping and thumping and thumping and trumping every single player that is 11 years of age, it's because they're at a different level. They are not playing in alignment with their age. And so that's where I think the discrepancies are because it goes off the, I think, the standard of play at that given time. That player could be a, a semi-full-time player compared to, I think, the more, I think, casual player. Although that really does open up another can of worms and it's a very big discussion. So we really want to recenter and draw the focus today on the, the wins that can be had from interacting at different ages. So it's really focused on those initial 10 years of play. Um, I recall, for example, and it was very disheartening when I was a player, um, being put with those who were similar age, but they more often than not, they were actually younger than me. And my ability was higher than theirs at this time. And the other players who had beaten me in matches were on other courts, were similar ages, but because I had had that loss, um, irrespective of how I was playing, I was positioned on another court or courts with those who were not as effective. Now, for that player at that time, so for me at the time, that it was very disheartening. Now, what would fix this would be the interactions, would be dispersing talent in this respect, not explicitly going off results, because we can acknowledge every single player is, is they're going to get um, pounced. They're going to get, and I'm not a big fan of this expression, but the bagels happen in this respect. But we're looking at that level of upkeep, that level of maintenance, that level of consistency, that level of performance that they're able to show day in and day out, not just the, the match results. 
and this is really important for coaches to be mindful of but also if you put your best player um, at your academy with one of your weaker players I can guarantee you both are going to um, improve and get better now is there's a it's typically frowned upon and or scarcely done because the ego of that beer the best player at the academy goes no I'm too good to hit with you know the, the weaker player um, obviously the weaker player can feel very intimidated irrespective of the age um, interactions here because of their skills but then it can be incredibly rewarding for both of them to learn something obviously the, the ego comes down a notch and hopefully if you have a player whose ego is not involved whose ego is not hurt and or offended by this the likelihood when we're looking at the behavioral implications and when we're setting the stage for that well-rounded player that well well-rounded adult with healthy boundaries with healthy i think progressions that really showcases and underscores if that is the type of player they are if you are i think leading the way by example for those coaches to really ensure you are developing a well-rounded player that in turn when you're looking towards that second decade of play they're going to be an absolutely incredible role model and some you know former players we can look at as, as from a Federer and you can even look at the Serena and even active it's obviously Venus still and or current players we can look at as Swiatek to Alcaraz to Sinner for example to Osaka to Golf the really healthy examples that are being set on tour now by a lot of the younger players leading the way inside the top 10 is absolutely phenomenal and it really should be i think be applauded in this respect because i think this has to be one of the only times we get to see that level of interaction in the best possible way um, and i think it's because it's been encouraged and then the players have been taking that into their own hands whereas in years past or generations past there was typically viewed as there was a very i think a big divide between players or it was viewed that way the perception was shaped that way so that level of inclusion was not necessarily there it was more so no we are competitors first um, friends second or colleagues second whereas now I think that view is changing we are colleagues to potentially friends first and then when we are on the court of course game on all right now I think that was a really healthy I think lay down introduction when we're really looking at the scope of age interactions so look if you want to follow along today we are on page 58 so here we go there is no distinct correlation between age performance interactions and the quality or caliber of the player athlete that is interacting that is regardless of the age of a player athlete this does not dictate that age of the player athlete that they train or practice with from time the same is applicable for the standard of the player athlete and the level of play performance this neither dictates whom a player athlete trains or practices with from time this is really important and I was trying endeavoring to touch on earlier it's about if you have a player that is 11 years old and another one who is 15 years of, of age 
both of them could have been playing or practicing the game of tennis for six months both of them which goes to show and if their rate of progress is very similar there is nothing that should be stopping those two from playing together and it's also highlighting the why you could have an 11 year old who's been playing for six years and another 11 year old who's been playing for two months now by all accounts they can play together whilst acknowledging strengths and weaknesses however when we're looking at that level of experience they're better equipped to play with others who have been playing for that period of time but it's very important i have to share and say for the coaches out there to interchange this so to not group experience explicitly together to ensure that ages also cross over because you have to be very mindful that most of these players athletes children um, are at school and or they're going through that developmental age range where their friends or their closest friends are typically around their age and potentially when you either put them up an age range or down an age range they can be um quite um unaddressed vulnerabilities there and you know 10 years prior we could have thought otherwise but now it's really important and you've had we've shared episodes on mental health mental well-being just emotional like well-being and being able to condition that and be really mindful of that and you wouldn't think age interaction would be reason for concern but i have to share that it's something that that it should be uh coaches need to be very mindful of um specifically um, within that first 10 years of play because of yes the behavioral implications that was touched on earlier but more so the vulnerabilities that can be experienced where that 11 year old playing with a 15 year old and if that 15 year old even if they are new and even if that 11 year old is better on court um, than that 15 year old that 15 year old may feel inferior and they may not enjoy themselves and think they're playing with someone their siblings age for example if that person obviously has a sibling of that age again a very big generalization but making sure there's a crossover so a level of inclusion with age interactions of the same age and varying ages is really powerful and empowering at the same time for those players so we can look at age interactions sure put all the 11 12 year olds together by all accounts but then don't disperse them across all of the age ranges you have whether it's down to the six seven year olds or up to the 16 17 year olds yes please do that so coaches who practice that level of diversification they are the ones following the primary principles that underscore the seven keys now I'm not, I'm not saying they're following all of them i'm saying they these are key characteristics included in the coach's um, pedagogic practices that are incredibly healthy and we know one of many that this one practice is incredibly conducive to building obviously that healthy coach athlete relationship and of course every single key is incredibly i think diverse and multi faceted with with many many 
moving pieces um, within or encompassed within each respective key. But this specific behavior and ability to diversify, to ensure there's that level of inclusion and that level of mindfulness with your players, your athletes that charge your children for their parents and or guardians out there, it's incredibly important. Too often than not, there is a common misconception that if a player is better than you, you should only practice or train with them. The same goes for age. If they're older than the player athlete, there is often an immediate perception prior to the professional ranks league that they are better to practice or train with in contrast to a player athlete of the same age or younger. These are merely fallacies that are now being put to rest. This really touches on, I think, the discussion earlier about if you play with someone, if you if you are that 12-year-old and you're playing with that 16-year-old, obviously the 12-year-old is going to go, I am incredible if you're basing age on skill level. Whereas that 16-year-old could have been playing just for six months compared to the younger player for six years again. So the irony here is that there is, there is zero crossover in skill transference. I mean, yes, but when we're looking at the level of performance, typically that 12-year-old or the 11-year-old for the example earlier is better equipped and more skilled than the older player and this can be quite detrimental then and disheartening for that older player to deal with so it's really pivotal for the coach uh, to change the conversation with that athlete to know why they're playing with that player so to not base their level of skill on age we're basing it on quality so quality of performance the same applies for that Again, that 16-year-old, and in this case, if they are the better player, they've been playing for the past 10 years, they're on the cusp of entering that second decade of play, for example. And if they go to play with a 10-year-old, and that 10-year-old has been playing for one year, now we're expecting the 10-year-old not really to be able to get many balls back. However, let's change the conversation again for the 10-year-old to that 16-year-old. The 10-year-old, this is an incredible challenge and example of where we're going to progress your performance in the next say four to five years as as a baseline the 16 year old why are you playing with someone or why do i want you to practice with someone who i know you can wipe off the court really easily i want you to practice your level of skill and control with your opposite hand or I want you to practice getting the ball in irrespective where that ball lands and just amplifying that level of speed in your footwork. Um, I want to make sure you hit every single ball on the full. I want you to volley every single ball irrespective where it is on the court. I want you to work on your level of control in this respect. Whilst a 10 year old is really looking at getting the ball back, making sure it lands at a specific uh, part place in the court looking at can they get the ball to bounce over the service line each and every time or just inside the baseline each and every time can they get the ball to their opponent's forehand every single time there are so many i think options to make the an incredibly versatile experience which means it goes on and on it's not just a one-off occasion i would encourage this on a weekly basis not a monthly basis a weekly basis these type of interactions because each player lifts one another up 
after that 10 year old is finished they are going to feel on top of the world after the 16 year old is finished they are going to feel a renewed sense of confidence in their performance knowing that irrespective if their player uh, or their opponent was not at the same level they were still able to work on some really important facets of play now the good news is here for both of them when they're in competitions or when they're in matches that 10 year old is going to come up against opponents potentially with similarities to that 16 year old that really want to wipe them off the court and that 10 year old is going to remember that level of consistency to just try to get the ball back and it is a pattern a pattern of play they are able to uh, impart because they have been practicing it is it's been a part of their development when we're looking at the developmental spectrum which we previously touched on the 16 year old they're going to come across opponents like the 10 year old uh, those other 16 year olds who have maybe only been playing for a few months or that one to two years or their rate of progress is quite um, it's slower in, in comparison so that 16 year olds is going to remember okay that level of patience that they have that speed to pull on but they need to be patient to control the ball to execute each and every point as desired whilst maintaining that level of respect for their opponent so there are really good I think direct uh, performance lessons to be learned with these interactions but also indirect lessons that can be learned there is one distinct difference here that is to be mentioned to ensure that this fallacy is clear the age and or level of a player athlete does matter when it comes to their training group each player athlete will always have something to offer the next player athlete and insofar as the training group is concerned the age of the player athlete simply needs to be accounted for i.e player athlete development and the level of that player athlete to ensure that each player or athlete has the same attitude and that no player or athlete takes away from another arms um, training environment in any way shape or form this is not dictated by age and that is such an important conversation that we're going to finish on because it really highlights the opinions or the biases that, that are uh, I think almost ingrained in a lot of players athletes and again we need to remember the behavioral implications here and obviously that's that that's really what the chapter is about is the interactions or all the behaviors that happen because of a certain age range you may expect a 10 11 year old to behave this way because of their age same goes for that 14 15 year old because of their age However, you can reshape that on the courts or in, on the training grounds and you need to make sure those attitudes are conducive. If you have a 10-year-old, a 16-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old all on the same court because their abilities are incredibly similar, you need to just make sure their attitudes are in check, which means let's make sure that the older players acknowledge why they're on court and the rewards with I think the other players what they can learn of that 10 year old that nine year old as well but like I shared earlier it's still so important to make sure that 
you know, the 15, 14 year olds, etc., still are surrounded by players of the same age. Really, I think chop and change that because, again, we need to acknowledge the level of vulnerability here and that they might not feel good enough or they might feel inferior. And that's all a part of the developmental spectrum when we're really looking at the behavioral patterns, connotations, associations, etc., which really are non-performance related. They are still present because they are still children and or a child. They're still individuals. So again, recall that humanized approach. So when we are on the court, we really need to account for, I think, these variances and be incredibly mindful of accommodating these needs, um, especially when they're on the pathway and they're following the long game towards that top 10 tennis ranking. Thank you so much for listening. I, I know we just wrapped that up a bit quickly, but at the same time, I think those, those topics, they're just so important when we're looking at age interactions and really setting the scene scene for the long game and that pathway ahead. Look, to grab a copy of The Secrets to Optimal Coaching Success, head on over to AMA International. That is amainternational.com. For any comments or questions, head to AMA or Topic Thread, the social platform set on data privacy. To interact with Beyond Top 10 Tennis, head on over to Twitter, Threads, LinkedIn or Instagram. To catch up on our weekly coaching tips, head on over to TikTok. And to catch up on our blogs, head on over directly to AMA International and look for our blogs tab there or to Medium. And as always, I'll leave all of the links in the episode for something different head on over to pink octopus books that's where my fictional release is to view this week's question and poll be sure to visit spotify or for something left of field visit Sproot for some random polls and of course if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe like share and or all of the above will be absolutely phenomenal and look on that topic i'd really love to hear feedback in respect to age interactions what's worked for you what hasn't worked for for you, for the coaches, how you diversify, how you, um, I think, implement that. The parents or guardians, um, how you feel about that when you're a part of that triangular relationship. If this is something that your child gets to experience playing with, I think, other children of higher levels, lower levels, and I think the, the, the feedback cycle there internally, so intrinsic and extrinsic feedback, what they have to say to you, to the coach, that in within that coach athlete relationship that level of accommodation I uh, it's I really need to highlight how it can be very complex but it really starts with I think that level of interaction and being able to I think ascertain the performance gains especially when we're looking at um, key metrics of development within again I you know we can look at the developmental spectrum but also the behavioral implications which really was what today was all about whilst highlighting 
uh, age interactions within that first decade of play because within that second decade of play we know that it's it's everywhere that age is really taken off the table when you know the, the performances are there you can have now a 19 year old winning a grand slam as well as a 36 year old which is an incredibly uh, topic in and of itself to discuss and we really want to set those foundations up that let's not discriminate against a player in this respect because of their age uh, and this starts at the baseline so at the very beginning and we really want to build those healthy habits early on to showcase um, age is not a barrier we want to accommodate and include an incredibly diverse level of players because there's something that each um, player athlete can learn from the other and look for those of you who are interested we do have scholarships available on AMA International as well as options to work with me exclusively to optimize your performance specifically to nudge you closer towards the top 10 or those who are currently within the top 10 to maintain that hold alongside or coinciding with those peak performances and ensuring they remain cyclical however places are limited so don't be shy come and say hi oh look on that note thank you so much for listening i'm so incredibly grateful i am your host dr ashley morgan burge and this is beyond top 10 tennis and i'll see you next time